Well, it was 2016 when we last had a Christmas on Sunday. I remember. I remember. <laughs> and the next one will be 2033. So another 11 years. And uh, it's, it's interesting how the world responds. I guess not too surprising, but it's, it is somewhat surprising how the church responds. Because now, a Sunday worship service is interfering with my Christmas day. I think somewhere along the line, we have it wrong. So I'm glad you're here. Thank you for coming to worship. Uh, some of you were here last night, and it's just a special time when we can focus on the incarnation and God's amazing mercy in sending his son to be our savior. And as Pastor Keith was reading from the book of Isaiah, one of the great messages that we see in the word of God is this idea to fear not. Someone said that there are 365 references to not fearing in the Bible, one for every day. I didn't count them and I can't find them all. But I did find that in the NIV, there is 16 times where it says, fear not, or don't be afraid, NIV, fear not's the old King James. Four of them happen to be connected with the infancy narratives, that is, the story of the birth of Christ. So going chronologically, the first fear not is found in Luke chapter 1 and verse 13. We're going to be looking at that in a moment. And that's where the angel said to Zechariah, don't fear, your prayer has been heard. The second one is the fear not given to Mary. This is Luke 1.30. Fear not, the message I give to you is true. You're going to have a child. <clears throat> then there is the fear not, again going chronologically to Joseph. This is found in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20. Fear not to take Mary as your wife. And then the final one to the shepherds, uh, don't be afraid, I've come with a message of good news. So when you think about it, the first one is a fear not, God answers our prayers. The second one is a fear not, God can do anything. Verse 37 in Luke 2, nothing is impossible with God. The third one is fear not, um, when, you, when you obey God, he will bless you. The idea of Joseph taking Mary, even though he knew it was going to be difficult, obey him and his blessings will come. Don't be afraid to obey the word of God. And then finally, don't fear, God has come. And that was the message to the shepherds. Now, it would be profitable for us to spend a lot of time going through all of that, and as I plan to initially map out my course in this sermon to do just that, I realized that this was more of a series than it was a sermon. So, instead of preaching all day, we're just going to focus kind of on that first one, the message to Zechariah. As you're turning to Luke chapter 1, think of this. That we do funny things because of fear, irrational things. 
I'm sure most of us at some point in our lives, in the middle of the night, picked up a baseball bat or anything close to a weapon and went downstairs or went somewhere else ready to club someone over the head. That's amusing to me that we're going to take an intruder down with a lamp or whatever it might be. But the intruder, often not, is not there. It's an old furnace that makes unusual noises. It's a cat that's awake that shouldn't be. It's the wind, whatever it might be. And we find ourselves acting irrationally because of a fear that doesn't exist. Someone said that 85% of the things we fear never happen to us. I don't know if that's accurate. But there is a word, xenophobia, that initially meant the fear of the unknown. Now it's fear of a person from another race. Uh, Xenos is the Greek word for stranger. So xenophobia is fear of the unknown, fear of the foreign. And we have so many fears, you can barely catalog, uh, catalog them all together. And the fears dominate us and they immobilize us and what fear does is cut off faith. So we have God speaking to us at the very first Christmas. Don't be afraid. What's happening is really good. So let's look at Zechariah and Elizabeth. We're in Luke chapter 1. And first of all, I want you to notice their pain. Sometimes we gloss over this rather quickly. I'm reading from verse 5. In the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in God's sight, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they had no children because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both well along in years. Notice their pain. Zechariah is going to be honored, you read further in the text, because his division has been chosen to serve in the temple. That's a life, once in a lifetime honor. And he is glad to be there. He is looking forward to that time to serve. And he's excited about the time of worship. Do we have the slides up? I see it. You don't see it. Now you do. It's magic. <laughs> I think we gloss over their pain. Zechariah's being honored, serving in the temple, but at the same time, their hearts are breaking. You think about it. There are few things that are harder on a woman who wants to have children than not having children. And some of you know that pain very deeply. There's a monthly reminder that you're still without and the desire of your heart has not been answered. And you think of Zachariah going every day through the misery and the brokenness of all of that, but also the shame. In fact, it is mentioned in verse 25 that Elizabeth was facing disgrace because of her position. You see, 
We are often very good at judging other people and assuming we know the problem when we don't even have the facts. Remember in John chapter 9, there was a man who was born blind and the disciples came to Jesus and they asked this question, who sinned? Was it this guy or his parents? I mean, they just assumed sin was the cause, right? And Jesus said, you guys are so off the mark. It wasn't him or his parents. God has a plan for this problem. And that's what we don't see in the midst of our difficulties. God has a plan. He's going to reveal his marvelous power. So I'm sure people said, I wonder who sinned. Was it old Zach? You know, he's a priest on the outside, but I bet his heart is so far from God. Or maybe it's Elizabeth. What has she done? And I don't know if they could have determined medically at that time. The scripture seems to say that uh, Elizabeth couldn't conceive, but I don't know if they knew it was his problem or her problem. But people assumed that they were sinners. But did you notice? It says in verse 6, both of them were upright in God's sight. By the way, there's a difference between between being righteous in your sight or man's sight and being righteous in God's sight. For man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Attending church, putting money in the offering plate, whatever you might be doing that are good things can be seen by people and they can be misled into thinking you are righteous. But God sees the heart. And when he looked at these two, he said, they are upright. In fact, verse 6 says the idea of blameless means that they were obeying all of the Lord's commands outwardly, everything that needed to be done they were doing, and inwardly their heart belonged to God. But they had no children. What a contradiction it appeared to be. And today people are telling us that if you walk with God and you are blameless and your heart is right with God so that he would call you righteous inwardly, then you will be blessed physically and you will be blessed financially and health and wealth will be yours. And I say that is a lie from the pit of hell. Because then you begin to think, That if I do this, this, and this, God will bless me and I'll have what I want. And when I do this, this, and this, and he doesn't bless me, I'm angry with God. God never made that promise. Imagine every party for a newborn that happened in their community and the Jewish community did it upright. They would celebrate. And Elizabeth would go home weeping. But the scriptures tell us that God had a plan for this. You know, there was a woman that was buried in the Old Testament by the name of Hannah, 1 Samuel chapter 1, and she was weeping because she could not have a child. And I laugh every time I read it where her husband Elkanah said to him, am I not better than 10 sons to you? (laughs) Husbands, I, I would shudder making a statement like that to my wife. (laughs) Actually, you are not. (laughs) He'd been a good husband, but yet she wanted a child. 
give me a child or I die. So that's their pain, and every one of us has pain this Christmas. We've got something in our life that gnaws at us and creates in us a fear. Maybe it's the fear of the unknown. It's the fear of finances in the future. It's the fear of health. It's the fear of our political crazy world. It's, it's the fear of whatever. And it brings us pain. Some of you have health problems and you can't get over them and you have pain every day. Some of you have relational problems and you're here today with part of the family because the rest wouldn't come. Some of you have the pain of just dealing with life in general at work and there's deep pain. It doesn't mean that you're not godly. Walk with God and watch how he's gonna deal with that pain someday. But there's something else that we see in the text. We go from their pain to their prayer. And I know they were praying because verse 13 says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. How long had they been praying for a child? We don't know. We know that they're well advanced in years. And I hesitate to say what that means. But let's say they got married at 20, probably got married before that, and now 50 years later, 60 years later, there's no child. It seems to me that we have such a narrow focus for our prayers to be answered, including our own lifetime. So we pray and we want answers immediately. And when they don't happen after a week or two, what do we do with our prayers? We give up. It's not working. 50 years they prayed, let's say, for a child. That takes great faith. And I'm sure some days it was extremely hard, but they kept praying. They kept lifting up their hearts to God, asking for him to answer. Faith was struggling, but faith was real and genuine. Jesus one time gave a parable in Luke chapter 18, verse 1. And the point of the parable, and he doesn't always give us the main idea, but he does there. He says, I'm teaching you this parable <clears throat> so that you would learn that people should always pray and not give up. That's the purpose of the parable. Keep praying and don't stop. George Mueller, who is thought to be among Christendom, one of the greatest examples of a person with a gift of faith and the person who lived by faith. George Mueller prayed I think it was 50 years for someone to be converted, and he died before they got saved. But he kept praying. And then they came to Christ after his death. You know, there's something about prayer that is molding us and shaping us. It's more for us maybe than anything else. We come into the presence of God not to get our will done in heaven, but to get his will done on earth. 
When we come into the presence of God, it's shaping our heart and soul by spending time with him. And when you spend time with a good friend, you walk away saying, that was so productive because my heart was deeply stirred and greatly blessed. God is commending them. Zechariah, your prayer's been heard. But the interesting thing about that is that when God tells him his prayer has been heard, your wife Elizabeth is going to have a son, and they didn't know that kind of thing before a child was born, and you're going to give him the name John, which doesn't make any sense because it doesn't belong to a family name, but okay. He's going to be a, a joy and delight to you personally, but many people in Israel are going to rejoice at his birth because he is no, he's none other than the forerunner of Messiah. He's the one who prepares the way for Messiah. When Herod came to a town, there was often a group of people, engineers, road workers, who would level a path to take the bumpy roads away and uh, to make the rough way smooth and to make sure everything was clean to prepare a people for the coming of the king. That was well known. And I think when the prophecy says that John the Baptist is going to make the hills straight, the highways smooth to prepare a way for the coming king. They knew exactly, exactly what he was going to do. And that's what he did. And yet, when John gets the message that he's going to prepare the way for the Lord and fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah, it is Zechariah who says, how can I be sure of this? How can I be sure your promise is true? How can I be sure that this will be fulfilled? After all, I've been praying for 50 years and nothing has happened, which makes me think, why do you keep praying then? Remember when Peter was taken, Acts chapter 12, and the church was praying for his release, and Peter was released, and he comes to the door where the people are praying. He knocks on the door. A girl by the name of Rhoda comes, opens the door, sees it's Peter, doesn't even let him in, goes back to the group and says, Peter's outside, and they say, you're crazy. What were they praying for? His release. What had happened? He'd been released. And they thought it was foolish. Our lack of faith in the power of God to answer prayer is appalling. Let Christmas remind you that nothing is impossible with God. And that God answers prayer. Fear not, because he desires good for you. So, ultimately... Zechariah is taken through a trial. <laughs> you didn't believe my words. You were filled with unbelief. These words, words will come true at their proper time. But you are going to be silent and unable to speak. Huh. Isn't that something? Might have been an improvement. 
I heard someone say instead of using chapstick, some people should use a glue stick. (laughs) Sometimes they're always talking and our talk reveals our soul, right? And it often is filled with garbage theologically. Poor view of God. And it displays a weak faith in him. Christmas is all about strengthening our faith because God has fulfilled his promises. E. Stanley Jones said this once, I am inwardly fashioned or created for faith, not for fear. Fear is not my native land. I am so made that worry and anxiety are like sand in the machinery of life. But faith is the oil. In anxiety and worry, my being is grasping for breath. These are not my native air, but in faith and confidence, I breathe deeply and freely. A doctor at John Hopkins University said, we don't know why it is that worriers die sooner than non-worriers, but it is a fact. Stanley said, I believe I know why. We are inwardly constructed in nerve and tissue, brain cell and soul for faith and not for fear. God made us that way and to live by worry is to live against reality. God has wired us to trust him. And we're blessed when we do and we're silent when we don't. So, You've got their pain, and they do the right thing. They pray about it, but it takes a long time, which goes to show us that God's got a timetable unlike ours. When God made the prophecies in the Old Testament of a coming Messiah, they waited hundreds of years. In the fullness of time, he was born. John the Baptist was born at the proper time, Luke 1 says. God's time is always right. But the third thing I want to see from Luke chapter one with regard to Zechariah and Elizabeth is the fact that they were filled with praise. Their praise. So Elizabeth is the one, you know, you think about it. When Zechariah came out of the temple, he could not speak. And the crowd outside knew something has gone wrong because he was making hand motions. (laughs) It almost sounds comical to me, but I just wish I could have seen that. I can't talk, and angel came, and I didn't believe, and finally they said he must have seen a vision. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth go home, or maybe he went home alone and met her there, How are you doing? How was it? I can't talk. Now we do know that he could write because later on when people ask what's the child's name, he wrote out the name John. So maybe he got a tablet and he wrote, I can't talk. But you're pregnant. And she was. Soon after that, she was pregnant and for six months they stayed in seclusion the scripture says. 
and listen to her praise. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he's shown his favor to me. It's not just Mary who is highly favored. It's Elizabeth with the grace of God to give birth to a prophet of the Most High. He's not the son of the Most High, but a prophet of the Most High. And notice what Elizabeth said. He's, take, he's given me favor and taken away my shame. That must have been an interesting day when Elizabeth, 75, 80 years old, I don't know, goes walking out six months pregnant. I think she must have gone everywhere she could that day. I'll go see my relatives. I'll go to the market. I'll just walk back and forth on the street because God had taken away her shame and her praise went to almighty God who can do anything. But then Zechariah has a rather long praise at the end of the chapter. It starts in verse 67. You know, he couldn't speak until John was born, and then people said, what is his name? And he wrote on the tablet, John. Still couldn't speak for a minute, and people were obsessed with that because it wasn't the right family name. <laughs> the traditions and expectations that we put on others is so unloving. You can't do that. God said to do it. His name will be John, and then he's suddenly speaking. And this is what comes out of his mouth, filled with the Holy Spirit. This is verse 68 of Luke 1. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. His praise first goes to God. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant, as all the holy prophets said before. And he's probably referring especially to the prophecy of Isaiah, but it could be Micah, and it could be Hosea, and it could be even Jacob's blessing upon his sons. Verse 71. He's brought to us salvation from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors, to remember the covenant that he swore to Abraham, to rescue us from the hands of our enemies, to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness, righteousness before him all of our days. That's the focus on an earthly covenant. To be delivered from our enemies and also to serve him without fear. Did you see that? Verse 74. To serve him without fear. Now, the earthly kingdom is not realized yet in its fullness. The spiritual kingdom has begun in the hearts of God's people. But it's in verse 76 now that the man, Zechariah, filled with faith in the Holy Spirit, says, And you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High God. He believes the word now. And you'll go before the Lord, the Lord to prepare his way to give people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun, that's a reference to Jesus, 
will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. There's that phrase again. The phrase that comes to us from the psalmist David. God comes to us in a dark world filled with death to be the light and to give our feet guidance in the path toward peace. What an amazing praise. So your life is probably something similar, isn't it? Filled with pain, so you pray. But you might be still caught in that section of it hasn't been fulfilled yet, and what do I do? And maybe you've given up, but let me encourage you to pray because God answers prayer. He never, he often doesn't answer it like we want. I won't say never, but often. They weren't saying, Lord, give us the forerunner of the Messiah as a son. We'll take any kid. But they were praying. And God did more, supernaturally more, all the, above all they could ask or think. So keep praying and praise him. Praise is good for the soul because it acknowledges that God is God. It acknowledges that even though things aren't the way we want them, they will be. And that's what Christmas tells us. They will be. The kingdom of this world or kingdoms, plural, of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And I want to live in that kingdom today in the midst of wicked kingdoms until someday the heavenly kingdom is realized. But when you fight against God, it's a long battle. An experienced lifeguard knows that sometimes when someone is drowning and they swim out to help them, they have to give that, that person some time to really want, well, they, they want to be delivered and rescued, but they're frantic. So lifeguard, experienced lifeguard, will go out to a person drowning and might not grab them right away because they're so frantic that they might hurt the lifeguard and maybe both of them will drown. So they, they'll wait a while for that person to give up <laughs> and then they swoop in and redeem them. Save them. Take them to shore. You know, I think God probably works that way too. I want to save you, but you still think you can save yourself. You're so frantic and fearful and fighting. You're fighting me, so I'm just going to wait till you're done. And you bob below the water a few times and take a couple gulps. And you're gasping for breath. And then when you say, Lord saves me, he says, I've been here all along. Didn't have to go through this. And he redeems us. And that, my friend, is the message, the great message of Christmas. In December of 1903, the Wright brothers flew for the very first time, Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. They sent a telegram home to their sister, Catherine, and it simply read this, flew 120 feet, we'll be home for Christmas. 
<laughs> Catherine worked at the local paper, and she thought, this is exciting news, world-shaking news, historical, the first flight of man. And so she took it to the paper, gave it to her editor, and he looked at it, and he said, well, that's nice. Your brothers will be home for Christmas. And people look at Christmas today and say, this is nice, the celebration. Isn't it nice to get together? Isn't it nice to have time off? Isn't it? And they miss the message. Christ has been born for you. Amen. Heavenly Father, open our eyes that we might behold the truth of Christmas as it's found in Christ, God becoming man to save us. It is our sweetest comfort, Lord, and will forever be to ponder on the gracious truth of your humanity. Oh, joy, there dwells in our flesh on a throne of light, one of human mother born, imperfect Godhead bright. Forever God, forever man, my Jesus will endure, and fixed on him, my hope remains eternally secure. Father, speak to our hearts to trust Christ today and celebrate him during this season. In his name we pray, amen.